Father, send your truth to our minds, your encouragement to our hearts, and your life to our souls today. As we listen to your word to us, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The hour has come. When someone says that, you think, well, some great contest is about to come to a head. Some great moment, some great destiny is about to unfold for better or for worse. The hour is coming at 1pm today. If you're an Australian Grand Prix fan, that is the moment when Red Bull, Ferrari, Aston Martin, Mercedes and others will line up on the grid. And the decisive hour that begins with lights out at Melbourne Park, Albert Park in Melbourne, and continues as drivers fight for points and glory and strive to beat their rivals, or at least not disgrace themselves, this hour is coming today. And some people have suggested that I chose today as a combined service in order to leave the afternoon free for the Grand Prix, but I want to <laughs> deny that there's anything in that thought. In our passage today, John 12, 20 to 33, Jesus announces the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is an important, a climactic, a decisive moment in the story of Jesus as John tells it. He announces that we are reaching the absolutely peak moments of Jesus' life and ministry. And so today what I want to look at is firstly what happens in this hour. Secondly, is this really Jesus' glorification? And thirdly, how does this hour involve us? So that's where we're going. Let's begin with what happens in the hour. And the the fact is that in this hour, Jesus' enemies grab hold of him. Uh, There have been a few references to Jesus' hour in this before John, John 2, 4. Um, Jesus said to his mother at the wedding at Cana, my hour has not yet come. Uh, In John 7.30, after Jesus has said some controversial things, we read that at this they, the crowds, tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because the hour had not yet come. John 8.20 is similar. Jesus says something controversial, which might provoke the crowds to lay hands on him, but we read no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. But now as we are in Jerusalem and Passover is approaching the great festival, the high point of the Jewish religious calendar, he says now the hour has come. And from what unfolds before this Passover is over, we might think to call this hour the hour of Jesus of vilification rather than his glorification. Because in this hour, as you probably well know, I hope, and as you will discover if you read on in John, Jesus is seized. He is bound and questioned. He is slapped. He is charged. He is flogged and mocked. The crowd calls for him to be crucified. And he is let out. He is crucified. He is stripped of his last possessions which are his clothes, and so naked he dies. If the hour is the moment of a great contest, then Jesus seems like the loser here. 
Far from being glorified, that is held up and shown to be worthy, shown to be honourable, shown to be successful, far from that, Jesus is vilified. He is held up and displayed as a criminal, as contemptible, as a failure. So the second question to ask is, is this really Jesus' glorification? Here are three reasons to see this hour as the hour of Jesus' glorification and not simply his vilification. Firstly, the resurrection. For the events of Jesus' hour don't end with his death. Uh, There is also what happens next. And what happens next, well, what happens immediately is his body is taken down from the cross. It's wrapped in linen and spices and laid in a tomb, a fresh tomb. No one else is there. Jesus is given honourable burial. But far more than that, on the third day, he is raised to new life. He takes up his life again. He appears to his disciples. He breathes his Holy Spirit upon them. He ascends to his Father's side. And all of that puts a very different light on his suffering and his death. It leads us to see that his hour is productive and life-giving indeed. Very truly, he says, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so it is with Jesus' death. It is not a barren tragedy that leads to nothing good. It produces many seeds. It leads to increase, to new life. Here are some other things we find in John about what Jesus' death achieves. In John 1.29, John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is identified as a sacrificial lamb provided by God whose death will take away the sin of the world and reconcile us to God. In John chapter 3, verses 14, we read, The Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Crucified people were lifted up, you know, to be seen all the better and serve all the more as a warning to others. Don't end up here. Look at this person. Look at their agony. Look at their shame. But the crucified Jesus is lifted up to be seen all the better so that we might look to him and trust in him and find life in him. Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. My death will involve all people. Jesus' death involves us all. Here is what Jesus said in John 6. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The death I'm dying is not just my death. The death I'm dying is me giving life to the world. And so Jesus' hour glorifies him because it ends with his resurrection and his return to the Lord, to God. Secondly, it's productive and gives life to all who look to him, to all who come to him in faith. And thirdly, his hour was the exposure of and the defeat of evil. 
In John 12, 31, Jesus says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. The inner spirit of this world is shown up for what it is in the events of Jesus' hour. John's Gospel uses this world as a term not to talk about the good world God has made with its plants and animals and human beings, but rather to talk about the world gone wrong. This world is the world led astray by the evil one. This world is the one, uh, the world that is being usurped by the, the illegitimate prince of this world. His authority is, is seized illegitimately. Jesus' hour then is the hour of his contest with the devil, the pretended ruler of this world. And the devil does his worst. He has Jesus betrayed. He has Jesus seized and bound, flogged, condemned, crucified. But the devil's worst is not good enough. And Jesus breaks his power, which is in the end the power of lies and the spirit of murder. Jesus drives out the devil from his pretended reign by taking away our sin through his self-sacrifice, by overwhelming and overturning and overcoming death in his resurrection from the dead. So in all of this, God glorifies Jesus. God demonstrates that it is in the end Jesus who is worthy of praise. Jesus who is acting in all this with honour. Jesus who is overcoming his opponents and enemies and showing them up. It was indeed the hour of Jesus' glorification, not his vilification. So thirdly and lastly, let's ask, how does this hour then involve us? Is it just Jesus' hour alone? And we have already seen something of the answer to that, that Jesus' death does involve all of us. The whole, all the peoples of the world are drawn to Jesus as he is lifted up. The bread of heaven comes down and gives life to the world. This is a death that is involving us. And how should we respond to this? Well, we should, firstly, come to Jesus. We should understand him from these events, not only his death, but his resurrection, to be the the true son of the heavenly father. We should understand him from these events to be the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. We should understand him from these events to be the one who draws us to himself in his death so that his body given for us might be the source of our eternal life. This is the basic motion of Christian faith, an act of the heart and mind and soul where we come to Jesus and we trust in him. But having come to Jesus and trusted in him, how does that motion of faith continue? Well, it continues in service and following Jesus. And so we should serve and follow Jesus. And Jesus has some things to say about it. And we have a little model here of what the way Jesus walks, which is also the way we should walk. Whoever serves me, says Jesus, must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. And If we're going to look at what Jesus does here and follow in his way, he exhibits a desire that God's name be glorified and that he exhibits that to be 
his deepest desire, in fact, greater than his desire for his own life to continue in a safe and comfortable way. It is easy to make a great life in this world our deepest desire and to want God to be our helper in this. Help me, Lord, make me rich or richer, make me smart or smarter, make me beautiful, lucky, married, successful, whatever it is we think will make our life better. And if something bad or difficult comes along, we pray, Father, save me from this hour. Remove me at all costs from this terrible situation. But this is not what our master prayed, even when his soul was troubled. Verse 27, now my soul is troubled, he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. More than he wanted to live on in this world, Jesus wanted God to glorify his name. And for God to show himself worthy of worship, full of honour and goodness, able to overcome all his enemies and opponents. And for Jesus to play his part in that, to, for God to glorify his name in Jesus, the way Jesus did that was to go to his death at the hands of his enemies. That is the way that God glorified his name in Christ. And so Jesus was willing to do that, to give his life away. He didn't love his life in this world. You might say he hated it, which is to say he, he put it in second place. He chose something else as better, namely that God's name would be glorified through him and in his circumstances. Now you and I will not have to die horribly at the hands of our enemies so that God's name will be glorified through you, most probably. But you and I will have to live humbly in service of Christ and obedience to God in whatever circumstances we have. we asking ourselves as we go through life, not how can I be happy? How can I live my best life? But rather asking ourselves, how can I live so that God can show himself glorious through my life. And maybe this means not looking desperately for a way out of all your hardships, but rather instead in all circumstances saying, whatever happens, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name through me and help me to so walk in life that your name is lifted up. You are seen to be worthy of worship, full of honour and goodness, able to overcome all your enemies. That's what Jesus did. And if we serve him, that is the road we will seek to walk as well. Will you pray with me that God gives us the strength to do it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus in his hour the hour when he laid down his life for us, when he suffered betrayal and seizure, condemnation and crucifixion, so that in his death there might be life for us and for many. And so, Lord, help us to come to him in faith and to trust in his death and help us to follow him and to take up his way, the way that seeks that your name be glorified. 
And so, Lord, teach us in all the good things we enjoy and even in our hardships to deepen that desire that through us your name might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.